to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. The one chief feature of every single religion on the planet, with the exception of biblical Christianity, is the feature of acceptance with God or salvation or however they describe it. It is accomplished through the works, the efforts, the merits of the individual. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Genesis, chapter 3, verses 20 through 24, in a message titled, Clothed by God. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Now, they must have expected death as an immediate penalty for their sin. I I would think that that would have been what was in their minds. And so when God came to them in the garden, they must have thought, this is it. It's just as God said, we're going to die. But they didn't die. In fact, not even the serpent died. Not even the serpent died. Up until this point, there had been no death at all. And now, the death that does occur is not their death. Now, of course, they deserve to die. But the death that occurs is the death of innocent animals, undoubtedly lambs. And the one who killed those animals was God. Now, I would imagine, and that's all you can do, I guess, is imagine, but I would imagine that this would have been so sobering to the man and the woman. For now, they're beginning to realize, remember, they had been told by Satan, they had been duped by Satan into thinking that the tree was beneficial and God was withholding something from them, that there was a good thing that God was trying to keep back from them. And they bought into that deception. And now we find that they're beginning to see the repercussions, the ramifications of their action. And although it certainly is affecting them immediately, it's also affecting everything around them. You know, sometimes people say in regard to sin, they say, well, you know, It doesn't hurt anybody else. It's just my thing. You shouldn't try to prohibit me from doing this or or living this way. Uh, I'm not harming anyone else. There's not a single case in all of the world, in all of history, where sin didn't harm anyone else. The nature of sin is harmful. And It always harms somebody, but it always harms more than, you know, just the individual. The individual might think, well, hey, you know, it's my body. It's my life. It's, you know, what does it matter? I'm not hurting anybody else by doing this. Well, what about the people that love you? You're hurting them. See, you might think that you're independent of everybody else and you're just doing this thing. And why should anybody else 
be affected by it, but that's just the way it is. You can't help but be affected by it. And so here's Adam and Eve, and suddenly the, the great reality of what their sin has done and, and kind of the beginning of seeing the, the ramifications of it, here are, are animals that have been slain in order for them to be covered. Now, the fig leaves, though they were real, they symbolized man's attempt to cover his own sin and to put forth his own efforts as a means of acceptance with God. So, of course, these are historical things. This is literally what happened in the garden, but there's spiritual lessons here as well. And so the fig leaves, yes, they were real fig leaves, but they were symbolic. And there's a deeper lesson here, one that's not limited just to the situation in the garden, but one that is actually going to work itself out all throughout time. And it's the picture of man attempting to justify himself versus God's means of justifying man or accepting God's means of justifying man. So man covers himself in fig leaves. Essentially, when God provides the tunics, what he's saying to man is the fig leaves, they're not adequate. They don't cover. They're insufficient. They won't work. And so God is going to provide something for them that truly does cover them. Now, the tunics that God provided, they show us two things. Number one, they show us that sin must be atoned by the shedding of innocent blood. Sin must be atoned by the shedding of innocent blood, or to put it in strictly biblical terms, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Now, all throughout history, up until this very day, most people all over the world, and Israel especially, had a concept that there must be sacrifice for sin. Our present humanistic, secular generation is, is perhaps the first generation in all of history that has rejected that idea totally. But all throughout history, in every culture, there was an understanding that God had been offended. And of course, depending on where you were at, the, the view of God varied. But God or the gods, however, you, however they understood it, the gods had been offended and there was need of a sacrifice. There was need of atonement to, to get right with God. And so first of all, God showed that sin must be atoned by the shedding of innocent blood. And secondly, that acceptance with God is based on his terms and not ours. Now that's probably one of the most rejected ideas today in our culture. Because as, as a people, we, we want everything on, on our own terms and we, 
we take that all the way out to the things of the Spirit, and we take it all the way out to a relationship with God. And so we have the distorted idea that we're going to dictate to God how things are going to be done. We're going to lay down the rules. We're going to set the standard, and God's going to comply with whatever we decide about how we're going to worship him or approach him or something like that. Now, needless to say to you, that is a huge delusion. We know that, right? Because God doesn't conform to our will, our way, what we think is best. God has set his standard and it is inflexible. It doesn't change. It can't possibly change. And we see here that acceptance with God is based on his terms and his terms always include death and the shedding of blood because the wages of sin is death. So there has to be death and the shedding of blood in order for reconciliation to take place. Now, in the last analysis, there are really only two religions. There are really only two religions. Now, if you've been to a, uh, a comparative religion course, maybe over at the college, you're saying, now, wait a second, Brian. I know there are more than two religions. I've, I've studied several of them. But here's the truth about that. When you take all of the religions in the world and you boil them down to the essentials, to, to the real essence of what is you know, being communicated in a particular religion, you find that every religion in the world, regardless of where it originated or or what the variables are, you find that they all have the same essential components. And, And the one chief feature of every single religion on the planet, with the exception of biblical Christianity, is the feature of acceptance with God or salvation or however they describe it, it is accomplished through the works, the efforts, the merits of the individual. And so in the last analysis, there are really only two religions. Whatever nation, tribe, place, or period of history you consider, you find that there are these two religions. There's the religion of fig leaves, which is the religion of works. The other is the religion of skins, the religion of God's provision through the death of Christ. I'd love to point that out to people. And I think it's a powerful testimony because as I'm saying, all of the other religions have several things in common, but, the, but the, the, I think the, the common denominator, the one consistency all the way through is that it is a religion of fig leaves. It is a religion of works. It is a religion of what you can do in order to obtain acceptance with God of what you can do in order to obtain God's favor. But when it comes to the Christian faith, and notice a moment ago I used the term biblical Christianity, and, you know, 
you do have to use that term today. And I think it's a good thing to clarify. I was speaking to uh, a man last week, a Buddhist fellow, and he grew up in Sri Lanka and, you know, it's a Buddhist country and so forth, but he went to an Anglican school. So he was educated in an Anglican school. But sadly, he knows very little about Christianity in, in the truest sense. So as, as we were talking back and forth, he was, he was asking me, well, are you an Anglican? And I said, no, no, I'm not an Anglican. And I tried to, you know, I tried to explain to him a little bit about uh, non-denominational Christianity. But I found myself going back and using the term biblical Christianity. And we need to do that today because, unfortunately, there's a lot of Christianity out there that isn't biblical. And because it's not biblical Christianity, there's a lot of Christianity that is very similar to the other religions in the world in that it is works-oriented. I mean, listen, I'll tell you, I spent you know, quite a few years in the Roman Catholic Church and I know for myself, and I think every other Catholic I knew, if you asked any of us uh, what was our hope of heaven, we were going to tell you that, you know, well, I'm trying to be as good as I can. Or, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep working at it. And, you know, I hope that in the end my good works will outweigh my bad works. That is the mentality of I would say, the vast majority of Catholics in the world today. It's the mentality of the vast majority of people who belong to the Orthodox Church today. And it's also the mentality of most of the people that belong to what we would know historically as the mainline Protestant denominations. And this is the great distinction. The great distinction between every other system and biblical Christianity is grace. There's no such thing as the grace of God. Nothing even remotely like it in any other system where God freely forgives the sins of people based on the work of another person, Jesus Christ, and are simply putting our faith and trust in what he's done. You know, some people foolishly say, well, the Bible was written by men. Anybody who says the Bible was written by men, I am pretty certain they've never really read it. Or maybe they've browsed it, maybe they've skimmed it, but they certainly haven't understood it. Because men have never come up with these kinds of ideas. And so there are the two religions. Now, most people come to God with big leaves. Most people want to make a contribution of, of some sort. You know, you would think that everybody, once they heard about the grace of God, the free gift of God's salvation, wouldn't you think that people would just jump right on that? Say, oh, that is the greatest news I've ever heard. Let me have it. But strangely enough, people kind of bristle at that. Well, well, what do you mean God's going to do it for me for free? And well, you know, well, what's my part? Well, you don't really have a part. Well, what do you mean I don't have a part? I, I want to have a part. I, I want to do something too. Well, okay, you, you can believe. Well, I want to do more than believe. 
I think I've done some pretty good things. I think God got to take all that into consideration. It's a strange perversion in the heart. But you see, God does not accept it. This is completely unacceptable to God. It's all grace or it's nothing. You see, again, we come to God on his terms, not on ours. And this is exactly what Paul meant. Now, think of the Apostle Paul as we project forward in history here from Genesis to the New Testament period. And think of Paul. Paul was, as you know, he was, he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. He was deeply committed to the law of Moses. By his own evaluation, he said regarding the law, he was blameless. And so here was a man who thought that his standing before God was going to be attained through his works. And yet, you know the story. He's persecuting the church. He's on his way to Damascus to apprehend the believers there. And the Lord Jesus Christ essentially arrests him on the road to Damascus. And Paul goes through this marvelous transformation, and you know he becomes the great advocate for the faith. But remember, here's a man whose entire life, all, his whole life experience was rooted in a religious system that taught that salvation was through adherence to the law. He, he had been this had been ingrained in him from the time he was an infant because his father was a Pharisee. And so this was a lifelong indoctrination and it was something that was just so thoroughly a part of his thinking process that there, there's no way, humanly speaking, that could have ever been altered. But, but listen to what he says in writing to the church in Philippi. He says, but what things were gained to me, these I counted loss for Christ. Indeed, I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Now, what Paul's talking about there, the context, the all things, are all of the things that he previously trusted in, which would have been his works. And this is what he's saying about his works. He says, I count those things as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and listen, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but the righteousness of God that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. You see, that's, I think that's one of the greatest descriptions of what we're talking about here. And these tunics, these animal skins are the first, they're the first glimmer, they're the first indicator of how God is ultimately going to save man, redeem man, justify man. He's going to do it not through man's works or efforts. He's going to do it by 
the shed blood of an innocent victim and that shed blood covering and making atonement for their sin. And so the gospel, as we know it, as we preach it, as we thank God for it, as we glory in it, you see again here the gospel in its most elementary form is being communicated to us right here in verse 21 of chapter 3. Now, I hope that, you know, I know we've gone rather slowly through these first three chapters, and we will pick up the pace. But I, I intentionally went slowly through these first three chapters because they're, they're foundational. You see, without an understanding of these things, we couldn't really understand what we're taught in the New Testament about the gospel. You know, sometimes people make the, the mistake of saying, well, you know, the Old Testament isn't important. We, you know, we don't need that anymore. Of course, we get the New Testament. We just throw that out. Some people maybe don't go to that extreme, but I've heard many people say, well, you know, Genesis, what's the big deal? You know, Genesis is about all those things that happened so far back then, and what, what does that matter to us today? It matters a lot because it's the foundation upon which everything else is built. If we have no Genesis, of course, we have no understanding of our origins. We have no understanding of why the world is in the condition that it's in. We really can't even have an understanding of the gospel because the gospel is related back to sin and sin came in as we've been reading through Adam and Eve. So you see, these, these things are Essentials. These are, these are so important. They're foundational things. But I'm always fascinated as we go through to find just these, you know, almost seemingly sort of just incidental kinds of statements or descriptions. But yet, if you take the thought and you follow it out, you find that this was... The, the beginning of that thread. Some people have spoken of the scarlet thread of redemption and to go back and to follow that scarlet thread all the way through to the coming of Christ. And as we make our way through Genesis, we will continue to follow that scarlet thread. But as we close, let me remind you of kind of summing up everything that we're talking about here in regard to our salvation and the way God has always saved people and the way he always will save people. Not my righteousness, not anything that I have done or any kind of a contribution that I might want to make. There's nothing left to do. Just as God slew those animals and he covered Adam and Eve with those tunics. So God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. And he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness that God requires in him. That's how you obtain acceptance with God, no other way through 
Jesus Christ. For the month of September, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, God of All Things, Rediscovering the Sacred in an Everyday World by Andrew Wilson. Have you ever wondered why God created things? Why did God create rainbows? Why did God create rain? Why did God create different animals or vegetation? Why did God create anything at all? Well, in his book, Andrew Wilson explains that God had a very specific purpose for creation, and God uses it even to this day to display His wisdom and to teach us that wisdom as well. Gleaning the insights that can be found in ordinary things, Andrew Wilson takes from both the Old and New Testaments to show how the ordinary things of God can reveal the extraordinary God of all things. The book, God of All Things, Rediscovering the Sacred in an Everyday World by Andrew Wilson is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Genesis. Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.